Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son. Thank you that there is no shadow you won't light up. There is no mountain you won't climb up coming after us. There's no wall you wouldn't kick down, no lie you won't tear down in your pursuit of your people. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We give you honour. We give you glory. We give you praise for you alone are worthy of all these things. And Lord Jesus, just now as we come around your word, we pray that you would speak. God, as always, that I would get right out of the road, that you would use this jar of clay to bring forth your mighty treasure, Lord, your wisdom, your insight. May it be a word that touches us in season, Lord God. May you do what only you can do and bring this word and cut a thousand different ways each way to each person's need in this moment, in this season, wherever they're at. And so, Lord, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We thank you. We give you praise. We give you honour and we give you glory. And all God's people together with one loud voice from all across this state and all across the nation and maybe all over the world declared, Amen, Amen, Amen. You may be seated, assuming that you were standing in your lounge rooms and living rooms. Thank you, worship team. Can we give the worship team a round of applause as well? Yeah, we had a few people doing that. That was awesome. Thanks, guys. That was so, so great. How good is it to have Flick here as well doing the hosting? That was fantastic to have here. We've got Jess and Tim doing the projection stuff. Uh, it's great. We're seeing God bringing more and more people in to serve Him in this season. So... Uh, God is good. Um, We're going to get stuck straight into it today. We're in a series on the book of Jeremiah. Uh, We are looking at what it means to run with horses, running with horses. How do we run the race of faith and what inspiration can we gain from the life of Jeremiah, this young prophet uh, called by God to be an iron pillar, to bring a word of repentance, to bring a word of judgment, to bring a stern word and yet in the face of everything that he endured, he endured to the end and he ran with horses. And we're looking at this through the life of Jeremiah. Um, God is good. He's got a great word for us. We're going to get straight into it today from Jeremiah chapter 7. And we're going to read from verses 1 through 15 as we take a look at the famous temple sermon. Here we go. False religion is worthless. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place. In the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever, but look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? 
Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave you and your ancestors. I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did to all your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. What a heavy word that is. But there is a word for us in this. There is a word for us in this. Um, I don't know what you've been doing in this isolation season, but based on a visit yesterday that my family and I took to Bunnings, it would seem that many have undertaken the task of freshening up their houses and their backyards. I know it's definitely true for us. I don't know if that's you. If that's you, you can say amen in your lounge room. Uh, But it seems like everyone's sort of taken the opportunity uh, to do something with their house. And it's certainly true, as I said of us. Uh, My wife, Jo, particularly has worked tirelessly to clean up our house and to make it look fresh and dazzling and it's looking great. And uh, the interesting thing about that is there was a couple of weeks ago, I was putting my oldest son, Bailey, to bed. And I walked into his room at sort of, I don't know what time, it was about 7pm, and I noticed a strange scent. I had a bit of a sniff, I went, what is that? There's something a bit off, and I sort of looked through his room and I found his bag, and of course I found his lunchbox that had been sitting there for a couple of weeks, and thought, well maybe that's what it was, a bit of a stinky smell coming from the lunchbox. So I cleaned that out, put him to bed, and a couple of hours later went in to say, you know, do the goodnight kiss at the end, and I opened the door and I was like, whoa, there is something off in this room and uh, Jo came in and she's a teacher and so in previous years she'd taught in a classroom that had a dead animal smell hanging somewhere in the walls and the roof and she walks straight in and she just goes oh that is death that is death there is something dead in here and so we, we got him up and we moved and we were looking around the room and it was clean Because Joe had worked so tirelessly, everything was spotless, everything was immaculate, and yet there was this stench in that room. And so we decided we would probably get up into the roof. And as we got up into the roof and we looked around, lo and behold, sitting directly above the air conditioning vent in Bailey's room was the biggest rat I have ever seen. This thing, I got up in the roof and I yelled out because I saw it there lying dead and I said, it's a possum, it's a possum. And I went, oh no, that's a rat. I couldn't believe it. So we got that rat, we removed it, we took it out, we put it in the bin, we put everything we could possibly think of to remove the smell. And then a few days later, that smell has subsided. I tell you that story because when we look at this story in the book of Jeremiah, I think Jeremiah is pointing out a similar thing. You see, the house was clean, but there was death in the walls. Just because the house is clean doesn't mean the home is holy. Just because people are looking like their lives are pristine doesn't mean they're walking in purity. And what we see in this passage 
is his powerful word from, Jer- or from God through Jeremiah to the people that things might look good on the surface. You might have cleaned up the house. You might have looked like your lives might be to everybody else appearing perfect. You're following religious rules, but something is not right. You might be saying the right things. You might be living in the right place, but your lives are not right with me. And in order to understand it before we can go forward and look at what God is saying through this passage to us in the church today, we need to go back and have a bit of a history lesson so we understand the context of what's going on. You see, as we come to this passage, as we come to the life of Jeremiah, we need to realize that before Jeremiah started work, well, as Jeremiah started prophesying, he was, we, we knew that he was called in the 13th year of the king Josiah. And Josiah was a good king, but before Josiah was the king Amnon, and before Amnon was the king Manasseh. And Amnon and Manasseh were bad people. These guys were evil. Manasseh ruled for 55 years in the house of Judah. He ruled for 55 years, and in those 55 years, He did some of the most detestable, depraved, disgusting things that anyone has ever done in all of human history. The Bible tells us in the book of 2 Kings 21 that Manasseh was the worst king Judah had ever known. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 21 that Manasseh built altars to to idols, to Baal, to Asherah, that he sacrificed his own son on the fire to the god Molech, that he practiced sorcery, divination, consulted mediums and spiritists, that he actually filled the great temple of Solomon resplendent in its holy simplicity and that it had no idols so that people could worship the imageless god in purity and he filled it with prostitutes, with shrines, with all sorts of divination and disgusting. He filled it with idols shaped with beasts and monsters and that defiled the holy place. Lust and murder and greed were deified. This is what this king Manasseh did. In fact, the Bible says that he led the nation so astray that the nation did more evil in God's sight than the very nations that God drove out before them on account of their evil. They were so far gone from the people God had called them to be. This nation was filled with filth. And so Manasseh is reigning for 55 years. And you need to understand 55 years, that's three generations. Three generations where the true worship of the true God, the God who called called Israel unto itself, the God who rescued it from Egypt, the true worship of the true God had been basically completely forsaken. What was left was virtually a remnant. And and that remnant is basically hidden underground like a shoot buried underground. The true God of heaven who loved Judah forsaken by his people. And here we have this guy, Manasseh, at the forefront. It says he, he shed so much innocent blood that it filled Jerusalem from end to end. And then Amnon wasn't much better. But after 55 years of Manasseh, after two years of Amon, finally the reign is over. And this young king, eight years old by the name of Josiah, comes to the throne. And at the age of eight, this little 
boy whose only witness, think about this, his only witness, his only, only thing he'd ever seen of the people who were supposed to raise him in the way he should go were murder, were strife, were idolatry, were debauchery. That is the witness that Josiah had. And at eight years old, he ascends the throne. And here's the fascinating thing. The Bible tells us that when he was 16, it says that he set his face to seek the Lord. That he set his face to seek the Lord. Can I encourage someone today? How is it that a child whose witness, whose family, whose inheritance, whose heritage have been one of depravity and evil, how is it that he comes at the age of 16 to seek the Lord? And I want to encourage you today that the answer is that God is faithful, that God is eternal, that God is in control, that God is in charge. And so you need to keep praying. When all hope seems lost, hope is not lost. The nation of Judah could easily have said, the faith is gone. God has forsaken us. God is gone. And it could have spiraled out of control. But no, no, no. This boy, Josiah, turns his face to seek the Lord. God has a remnant. It's what he spoke to Elijah. God will always have a remnant. God is stirring the seeds of faith. And sometimes in life, we think it's gone. We stop praying for our son. We stop praying for our daughter. We stop praying for our colleague. We stop praying for the people that we would long to come to faith because we've given up on them. But here's the promise of God. He has not given up on them. So get back to praying because God is faithful and true. And God is on the move, church. He's on the move. And if Josiah can come to seek the Lord at the age of 16, then so can the person that you're praying for. God can reawaken things in your life that you thought were dead and gone and long forsaken when we set our eyes to him. So Josiah comes and he seeks the Lord. And then it tells us that at the age of 20, not only has he been seeking the Lord, but he sets his heart to purge the nation of the evil That was being done in it. One year later, when Josiah's 21, God calls a young prophet by the name of Jeremiah to be a voice piece to aid in the work of the call of Josiah. And together they set about proclaiming the word of the Lord. And then something fascinating happens when Josiah's 26 years old. God so stirs his heart that he decides that it's time to restore the temple, what had been destroyed, what had been broken, what had been uh, defiled. Josiah, God stirred Josiah's heart to restore it to what it should be. And so he gives direction and he says, let's restore the temple. And something incredible happens. Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 14 says this. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah, that's Jeremiah's dad, the high priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. So Jeremiah's dad, tasked by Josiah to go about and restore the temple, finds the book of the law. He finds what has been forsaken for three generations. And the book is most probably the book of Deuteronomy. And so he finds this book and he brings this book to uh, Shaphan, who was the secretary of the state. He says, look what I found. 
Look at this. We thought this was gone forever. Look what we've found. And Shaphan then takes it to King Josiah. And it says he opens the book in Josiah's presence and he begins to read. And as he begins to read the words of the book of the Lord, Josiah is so moved by the word of God. It says that he falls on his knees, he rips, he tears his clothes and he bows his head, buries his head in his knees in an act of repentance saying, how far have we fallen from you, O Lord? And out of that, he then goes about this incredible task of restoring Ritual worship, restoring the temple, restoring right religion in the nation of Judah. He assembles the people. They establish the festivals again. They have a Passover. He reads the entire book to all the people. They start purging even more. They cut down the high places, the idols. They completely reform the land of Judah to what it should be. And this, friends, is the setting of Jeremiah 7. When the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah, this is the backdrop. Jeremiah has cleaned house. Sorry, Josiah has cleaned house and Jeremiah has been there with him with a broom in hand helping. They've completely cleaned house. It's looking pristine. It's looking beautiful. It's looking like a house looks like in isolation. They've done everything they should do. Things have been reformed to what they were. However... Something's not right. Because as time goes on, God comes to Jeremiah with this backdrop and says, preach this message. A message that all is not well. A message that the nation of Judah might look clean, but it has a rat in the roof. There's a dying rat in the roof. And for those who are spiritually trained, that spiritual scent cannot be denied. So Jeremiah goes to the temple gate where the people are coming and they're doing their ritual worship and they're going to the temple and they're carrying about honouring God with their lips and he says, something's wrong. You're honouring me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And he calls them out. He calls out compromise. He calls out compromise. And it's a powerful word and it's a very specific word to a very specific people at a very specific time. And so my question to us today is what does it have to do with us? What is God saying in this specific word, in this specific season, to this specific people who are going through this specific stuff, what is God saying to the church today through this same passage? Because all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is useful for training and rebuking and correcting and teaching in righteousness. And so this word is as relevant to us as it was to them. And I want to show us a few things this morning that I believe God would have for us in this season. And this is it. The first thing that I see that God would say to us through this, from verse 2. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. You see, reform had happened in the nation. Josiah's life had been transformed 
by the power of the word. Uh, the nation had seen reform and uh, the people were going about doing and saying the right things. And yet behind closed doors, they were still worshipping idols. Behind closed doors, they were still uh, hurting the widow. They still weren't being um, looking after the people they were supposed to look after. They were still abusing each other. They were stru- still treating people incorrectly. They were still acting as if uh, they, they didn't actually know who the Lord was. They were singing about him, but they had no idea who he was and what his impact and what his desire for their lives actually were. And so we see that with Josiah, when he hears the word of the Lord, something shifts in his life. You see, Josiah hears the word of the Lord and his whole life is transformed. It causes him to repent. It causes him to get on his knees. It causes him to to desire to bring change. And yet when the nation of Judah, they go about their word, what they start doing is they start saying the temple, the temple, the temple. You know, John Calvin once said that the human heart is an idol factory. This is true for them and it's true for us. Judah starts trusting not in the word that brought the change. They start trusting in the temple in which they were worshipping. They are turning the temple into an idol. They start celebrating just the temple. Look at the temple. Look how great this place is. Look what God has given us. How could anything bad ever happen? Look at this. We're doing everything right. They're celebrating the temple, but they're forsaking the word. They're forsaking the word of God, which calls them to look after the widow and the oppressed, which calls them to worship him, to have no other gods before me. They're forsaking the word of God and they're trusting in the temple. And if they knew the word of God, they'd know from 1 Kings 9, when God first established the temple, it says this, but if you and your descendants turn away from me and do not observe my what? My commands and my decrees. If you don't observe my word that I've given you and go off and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and I will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel then become a byword and an object of ridicule amongst the people and the temple will become a heap of rubble. If we reject the word and we just worship, worship, if we worship the temple, if we worship the things of God, but we forsake the word of God, then what we are doing is we are trusting in everything else but God. We are turning the things of God into an idol and forsaking the one true God himself. Here's my question to us. What are we listening to? Where is our attention? Are we trusting? Are we hearing the word of God? When we wake up in the morning, where is our attention? Are we trusting in the things of this world? Are we trusting in the news? Are we trusting in our news feeds? Are we trusting in what's happening in celebrities' lives? Are we trusting in everything else that we're being told by our culture? Or are we trusting in the word of God? Are we hearing the word? We live in a society that is telling us that truth no longer exists. They're relativizing truth. They're saying there is no such thing as a foundation on which we can stand. That is incorrect. The Word of God is trustworthy. The Word of God is truth. The Word of God is reliable. And we need to stake our lives on it. 
So many people in this season, people in the church are hearing things about, oh, the stock market's down. How am I going to survive? Oh, banks aren't passing on interest rate cuts. How am I going to make it? I've lost my job. Oh, what am I going to do about this? Oh, my family's in trouble. What am I going to do? My life is struggling. I'm in trouble because we're listening to the word of our culture. We're not listening to the promises of God. And we need to start listening to the promises of God, not the thoughts of men. If we listen to the promises of God, you'll hear some amazing things. You'll wake up in the morning and instead of listening to doom and gloom, you'll wake up and you'll say, this is the day that the Lord has made. And dagnamit, I will rejoice and be glad in it. And you'll stand up and you'll say, I'm going to start my day in rejoicing because my God is faithful. My God put Josiah on a throne and brought faith in his heart. He's going to do the same in my generation. you say, this is the day the Lord has made. You'll say, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How are you not much more valuable than they, friends? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? You'll look at the scripture and you'll see that even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those whose hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You'll be encouraged when you look at your finances and you think everything's falling apart and you think I better store up unto myself. No, you'll hear the word that says, bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Do you believe God is our provider? Do you believe God is our protector? Do you believe God has you in his hand? Start hearing the word, not the pundits of men. Hear the promises of God. Hear the word in this season. Stake your life on it. Base your life on it. Wake up in the morning and seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, not the nonsense and the drivel that our culture is feeding us at a rapid rate. Hear the word of the Lord. And as we hear the word of the Lord, we'll see a second thing, is that what we need is a revelation, not religion. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, Reform your ways and your actions, and I'll let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with others justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place and you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place. God is saying, get a revelation of who I am and my intentions for you and my intentions for my church and chase after that. You know, that word reform there in verse 3 is the Hebrew word yatav. Everyone say yatav. That word yatav actually is the same word that we see in Genesis chapter 4 when God is speaking to Cain. And he says, when Cain's complaining, he says to Cain, if you, like, if you do well, Will you not walk in my favor? That word, do well. If you do what pleases me, it's the same word as reform. If you, if you do what is right by me, if you seek my desires for you, then things will go well. 
And so that word that we translate reform in the NIV, I think it's better to translate that if you do well, if you seek my desires, what's pleasing to me, then things will happen. Where does that desire come from? That desire comes from a revelation of who God is, not a religious reform. Religion will not bring a revelation of the love of God. We need a revelation. Where does that come from? The word. Hear the word. Josiah hears the word and his whole world is blown up. He's like, oh my goodness. He has a revelation of the character, the love and the glory of God. And we too need that revelation. Sunday service is not God's intention for you. His intention for you is a relationship, is a lifelong walking. We need a revelation of who God is. We need the lights to come on. We need this stirring of faith which causes us to go, oh my goodness, look what God has done for me. And here's what I want you to see. Religious reform will bring cultural nicety. When we see what happens in Judah, there's this religious uh, adoption of religious tradition and it does bring this, this reform of behaviour. But when we catch a revelation of who God is, then we will see inward renewal. And when enough people encounter inward renewal, a nation will see revival. And that is God's heart and desire and intention for his people, that we would not just reform to a religious idea, but rather we would have a revelation of who God is in Christ Jesus, that that would so captivate our hearts that it would cause this renewing of who we are, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And as our minds and our hearts are renewed from the inside out, our lives are revived. God is in the business of breathing on dry bones, taking what is dead and bringing it to life. That is what God's intention is for us to be. Not just walking around doing religious acts, not just just walking around with clean white walls but death in the ceiling no he wants us to be full of life to be living life and life to the full by the power of his spirit and that comes through a revelation of who God is and that comes when the spirit of God rests on his people and so my prayer for us as a church my prayer for you where you are at is that you would encounter right now the spirit of God breathing on you that he would enliven and embolden and and take this beautiful gospel that he would take the message of Jesus and he would crack through the religious exterior that he would crack through I have to do x y and z that he would crack through generations of maybe teaching and he will show you his love for you that he would break your heart for what breaks his that he would breathe upon your life give you a revelation of his love for you in Christ that you were dead to sin and you've been made alive in Christ and as you have that revelation church then doesn't become something that you do to be made right. It doesn't become a religious step. It's not, I'm going to go to the temple because it's the right thing to do. I'm not just going to go to church because it's the right thing to do. Oh, I don't really feel like it, but I'm just going to pop on church because I should do it. No, it becomes a passion. It becomes a joy. The reading of the Word of God becomes a delight. It becomes The singing of God's praise becomes something that rises from deep within your core because you've had a revelation of who He is. And this is what God would desire for us. And when we hear the word, when we sit in God's word, the revelation of his character is made manifest in our lives. You know, I had a, years ago after a basketball game one day, I was sitting there chatting. I was, when I was getting baptised, 
And I sort of invited all the guys to come to my baptism. And one of the guys said to me, he goes, oh, he goes I'm like you, Shep. He's like, I was, I was baptised. And I, you know, I've hit church. And I like take, took communion and stuff. And I remember just looking him in the eye. This is a guy who was far from, like he, he did not have a relationship with Jesus. And I said to him, there's a really big difference between occasionally going to church, but between having the religious Christmas experience and having a relationship with the living God. And I said, the baptism that we, as an adult, that we, we submit to is a testimony of saying, God has captivated my heart and I want to give my life to him. I want to die to self and I want to follow you. There's a difference between religion and Christianity. There's a difference between just doing the right thing and saying the right words and going to the right place and having a heart of righteousness on account of the blood of Jesus which has been poured out for us. And our hope and pray, my, my hope and prayer for you is that you would walk in the righteousness of Christ, knowing that in him, that is who you are. We need a revelation of who God is, not just religion. Let me throw a couple of quick psalms at you. It's why it says in Psalm 40, verse 6 and 8, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. He wants that written on our hearts, not just our heads. Psalm 51, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in bird offerings. My sacrifice, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. God's calling us out of a place of religion and into the revelation of his love in Christ. And when we have that revelation, then it's not just about changing our ways. It's about inward renewal and out of inward renewal will come revival. And then the third and last thing that I want us to see as we read from verses 9 to 11, out of that, out of that hearing of the word, out of that revelation of who he is, what we see is that we are called to walk it, not work it. We are called to walk by faith. We are called to follow Jesus, not do what the Bible just says, not just do religious works. We are called to follow him, follow him, walk with him, enter a life journey with Jesus. And I love this from verse chapter nine. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, Burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known. And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Guys, this is so powerful. God sees our hearts. God sees our hearts. This is the same word that Jesus, 600 years later, delivered in the same place to the religious people. You are making my house a den of robbers. What are they saying? Robbers. In the time, it seems strange to us. But back in then, you had people who were criminals. They would hide in caves. 
So they would spend the week hiding in the safety of their cave and then they would go out and they would pillage and they would do whatever it is that they were doing. But their safety was in their den. And Jesus and Jeremiah here is saying, this is what you're making the temple. You're turning it, you're behaving in a way that is not pleasing to God. You are not walking in the ways of God. You're there saying, oh, look at me. I've got it all together on a Sunday or I've got it all together in public. And it looks the part in what I'm doing, but my heart is far from me. My heart is corrupt like a criminal. And behind closed doors, the evidence of that corruption is clearly seen. And then he says, don't make it like that. You're not called to do that. You're not called just to, to perform these religious rituals, but have a heart that's far from who I am. No, you are called to follow me. You're called to walk with me. You're called to, to embrace my lifestyle for you. And God sees what's going on. Stop pretending is the word. Stop pretending. Stop pretending like life is all together. Stop pretending like everything's okay because the walls are clean when there's the stench that is permeating your life. Stop pretending that life is together. No, Take up the invitation to walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. And as you walk with Jesus, we'll begin to see the outworking, the inward renewal, the outworking of his spirit, of his glory, of, of his desires, his yatav in our lives. Our lives will change. Our lives will please him because he is working in us, not we working for him. Instead of working for him, we'll be walking with him. And we will look after the, the oppressed. We will feed the orphan. We will uh, love and care for those in need. We will do the works that God has set us to do, not because we have to, but because he is alive in us. And all we are doing is walking with him. He calls us to a walk. He calls us to a walk. And it's the most beautiful, simple, glorious thing. I want to invite the band up. Because the, the problem that Judah and we in the church face so often is when we spend our whole lives just trying to do the right thing. When we spend our whole lives hiding who we really are. When we spend the whole lives just carrying about religious stuff. We're actually not operating in the strength of the one who can transform us. But when we choose to be a bit vulnerable, when we choose to just get on our knees and repent and say, God, I don't have it all together. God, I need you. God, I desperately need you. When we live in that space and we surrender our lives to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want to just walk with you, then his life permeates ours. And the things that he calls us to do become an overflow of the abundance of his love in our life. And that's where our works come from. Our works flow from the overflow. They become something that, that cascades out of us, out of the abundance of his grace. And I want to invite you today to live in that grace. Working for God, doing what these people are doing. It is a striving for acceptance. It is a striving for God's favour, these, these, these Jewish people, they were living their lives apart from him. They'd come and they'd try and do everything that they were supposed to do. And God saw their heart and said, that's not my intention for you. Come to me. Don't just come to my temple. Don't just come to church. Don't just go through the motions. Come 
to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest from your striving. I will give you rest from the things that haunt you. I will give you rest from the things that you know that you should do, but somehow continue to stumble over and can't do. I'll give you rest. I will give you peace. The Bible says in Romans 14, 17, that the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of drinking and eating, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That means it's not a matter of religious action. It's about inward righteousness that is given to us in Christ, which brings peace that passes all understanding and brings joy. Joy where you go, oh my goodness. I could never have achieved this righteousness by those works. No, I achieved this righteousness by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And because of that, I have peace. Because of that, I have joy and I can celebrate and I can live my life in faith. I can live my life chasing after the promises of God, not the pundits of men because of what He has done for me. And out of that overflow is where the Christian life begins. Out of that overflow is where the the life that is thoroughly devoted to Christ begins. Dying to the idol of self and self-striving and surrendering to the sacrifice of the Son of God who sets you free. And we want to invite you today to enter into that life. Some of you are hearing this message for the very first time. And the invitation is come and walk with Jesus. Come and walk with Jesus. Stop working it. Stop faking it. Stop posting those pictures on Instagram that makes everyone think your life is perfect when you know that it is far from perfect. And come follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Have a revelation of the love of God in Christ. Get around the promises of God. Follow Him. Follow Him. Follow Him. That is where life is found. And some of us have been doing this church thing for years and years and years. And the invitation to you today is to stop working it and start walking it. Walk in the grace of God. It is okay not to be perfect. It is okay to not have it all together. It is okay to wrestle with things. But surrender all of that to the Son of God. Come before Him and just receive His love, receive His grace and know that in Him you are found and allow that joy, His Spirit to wash over you and bring you hope. And I promise you that will cause in you a desire to serve, a desire to love, a desire to act justly and love mercy more than any religious striving could ever do. And it's that action, the surrender to Christ that pleases God. The Bible says that our righteous acts are but filthy robes. And so why not surrender to the one righteous act that can actually transform our lives, which is the finished work of Jesus on a cross. That is where we will find life and life forevermore. And I love this song that we're just about to sing. The reckless love of God. It is not reckless in that it wasn't planned. It is not reckless in that it was an afterthought. It's not reckless in that it's dangerous. No, it's reckless in that it was completely abandoning everything that He was for the sake of His creation. And there is not a single wall that He would not kick down. There is not a mountain that He wouldn't climb for you. There's not a shadow that He won't light up in pursuit of you. 
He loves you and He's saying, come follow me. Come walk with me. Come sit in my Word. Allow my Word to bring a revelation of who I am and join the journey of faith. Join the journey of faith and walk with me. Let's stand to our feet wherever we are and let's pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your powerful Word and we thank You We thank you that in a word to Jeremiah, to the people of Judah, to repent of their religiosity, to repent of false pretense, to repent of whitewashed walls where it looks good on the outside, but our hearts are far from you. To repent that to everyone else, to the people we portray this pleasant, situation and yet we know that there's a rat in the roof God may we hear that word today and may we surrender to your finished work the one you're the one who comes and takes death where oh death is your victory where oh death is your sting it's been defeated on the cross of Christ and it's the only place that we can find life you're the only one who can remove the rat from the roof and so do that in our lives Lord Cleanse us and we will be white as snow. Lord, wash us that we might walk with you in the revelation of who you are, the power of your name, the power of your word, the power of your blood, by the power of your spirit to be the church and to be pleasing to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for who you are and what you've done. We surrender to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.